0: Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith, the president of Ministry Watch, and you're listening to something new for us here at Ministry Watch, uh, our Ministry Watch podcast extra episode. Uh, Regular listeners to our podcast know that Natasha Smith and I do a weekly summary of the news every Friday on the Ministry Watch podcast. But we're going to start adding a second episode every week with some of our ministry partners. And the first guest on this new Ministry Watch extra episode is Paul Gladder. Paul,
1: welcome to the program. Thanks, Warren. It's great to be here and with you.
0: Yeah, uh, quick introduction, uh, Paul. If I could, and you can correct me <laughs> where I am, uh, where I might get it wrong. But you're a professor and the program chair and director of the Journalism, Culture, and Society major at the King's College, but also the director of the McCandless Phillips Journalism Institute uh, in New York City as well. You are a longtime reporter and educator, and uh, you also, and more to our purposes, you also run Religion Unplugged, and we've been um, sharing content with each other for the last couple of months now. And I'm really pleased to have you on the program.
1: Yeah, thanks. It's you know, it's again, it's great to be here. And um, uh, in academia, I'm able to wear this other hat, which is to report on religion and to help other journalists have a platform where they can also report on religion so yeah to tell you just a little bit about religion unplugged and to tell your listeners about it um is you know we're an online magazine that covers religion in public life and we have writers who are young writers as well as veteran religion reporters from leading publications around the world but, you know, we think it's important for Christian readers to understand historic Christianity and global Christianity. We think it's also important, Warren, for Christian readers and readers from other faiths to learn and think about their both their own religion and faith, but also to demonstrate um, respect toward human beings practicing in other faiths. So, you know, the civic understanding and that discourse, to me, is the basis for maintaining, you know, ideas of personhood and dignity toward others. Maybe it's the basis for understanding and safeguarding our own religious freedom as, you know, religious freedom in general as democratic values and a human right. So I think it's important for Christians, which is a large part of our audience and our staff, um, to be doing this kind of work, and we're really excited for some of the awards we've been winning, the growth we're seeing on our site, and some of the impact of our stories as well. Well, Paul, you said something there
0: that I want to uh, drill down on just a little bit or push on just a little bit. You said that um, you you care about historic Christianity and global Christianity, and that most of your writers are Christian, and I know, of course, you are, uh, and but but not all, and uh, so you you don't look just at Christianity. You you sort of cover the entire
1: religion waterfront is that correct yeah as a magazine we look for interesting stories that are you know timely or just very powerful interesting um uh, whether it's positive stories or or investigative stories but um but yeah we want to report on uh some of the major faiths around the world so let me ask um, to peek under the hood just a little bit of how you
0: do what you do. Um, so, for example, I'm, I'm looking at the front page of Religion Unplugged right now, and I see a, a culture section. And uh, I, you've got your own podcast and an opinion section, and there's just a lot of content there. Uh, I know you've got a pretty small staff
1: where do you get your stories right so yeah we have a small staff of around you know five five or six people who are either full-time or fellows or interns with us but we get we also have a large network of you know fifty thousand some facebook fans um about two thousand journalists around the world some of whom come to our educational trainings and are part of our network so we have correspondents essentially some who write you know very frequently from all parts of the world, others who write occasionally, but we have correspondents and friends everywhere from Sweden to uh, the Zimbab- Zimbabwe, to India, to Ecuador, to almost every corner of the earth. We have someone we can call when we're looking for some reporting to be done on a topic, and, um, and networks of experts also in the US. So we, uh, for us, that's a really fun way to source reporting and ideas. Well, Paul,
0: because of your focus, which is global and and well beyond Christianity, in fact, well beyond the ministries within Christianity, which is kind of the, um, the, the center of the bullseye for Ministry Watch— we don't use a lot of each other's stories, but you you guys will, I, I'm, I don't know, I'm guessing maybe once a week or once every 10 days, y'all will reprint a story that we have uh, generated on your website, and we'll do the same uh, from a story that you've done on our website. And I'd like for you to talk a little bit about one story in particular that we posted on our site, kind of help us understand... Um, where a story like this comes from and how you get it reported and how you get it ultimately uh, written and edited. It's the story of a U.S. missionary that was accused in the deaths of 105 children. That story took place in Africa. It was an American woman, American missionary, as I said, that went over there. How did you find that story? How did you find the right writer to um, do that story, and, and whenever the story takes place an ocean away, how do you follow some of the basic journalistic standards to make sure that you're fact-checking and doing all of the things that you need to do to maintain your credibility as a news outlet?
1: Right, right. So this story, um, I checked with my team on it, and basically uh, the writer was is, he, is, he, is a young journalist named John in Uganda. Uh, who is in our uh, fellowship that we offer every year in Florida. He was in that fellowship last year. And John works for one of the major media outlets in Uganda. He's pitched us some great stories and reported great stories for us in the past. So we had a good track record with him. And we um, uh, our one of our editors, Megan Clark, has lived abroad and uh, in NGO or uh, work herself. So she had lived in India. And She had come across a story about this missionary from Virginia or this uh, uh, worker who went to Uganda at age 19 and uh, uh, set up an organization. I guess this young woman was uh, maybe homeschooled from Virginia, as I understand it, but started this organization to care for malnourished children. And I think Megan had saw that this case had come up about families in Uganda being upset with the care and that some of the children were dying um, and that and that also that um, uh, the young woman who'd started the organization was intervening medically when she didn't have a uh, medical license, etc. So she was watching the story and talking with John about it for a few months. And John actually saw, our correspondent there, he saw that an advertisement came out in a Ugandan newspaper from uh, this woman who had this charity. And um, it was sort of a public relations advertisement for herself. But so he started looking into it, and he made some phone calls, he did some digging, and he discovered that um, this woman uh, had settled out of court with two Ugandan mothers whose children had died at this facility. And so that to us was, you know, That meant it was time for a story. When you have a court filing, as you know, when you have a court filing, uh, that's an indication uh, there's some real action here that needs to be reported. So I think we might have been the first ones to have that story. And uh, yeah, in terms of your question on how do we then operate with journalistic standards, um, uh, I wasn't involved in the editing of that story. Megan was. But when we edit a piece like that, we want to use the same care and concern that we would if the story was on U.S. soil, um, you know, as, as anywhere else, such as Uganda. So we want to make sure that we know that the court was filed, court case was filed, that we want to give opportunity for uh, uh, to understand all sides of the story uh, as much as possible and to give people a chance to comment and to make sure the facts are accurate as uh, as we track them down. So... Um, yeah, thanks for republishing it. We think it was a, is an interesting piece, and maybe offers some you know some uh, questions or lessons for those of us who care about other parts of the world, and those who may be working or d- d- uh, donating to missionaries in different parts of the world.
0: Well, exactly right, and that's, of course, why we wanted to publish it. And by the way, for those who are listening, they can uh, find that story by going either to the uh, Religion Unplugged website and um, looking for the story there, or uh, by going to the... um, Ministry Watch website, and you can find that story. Just just type Uganda. There are a lot of keywords there, but just type Uganda into either one of our search engines, and it'll it'll pop right up. You know, uh, Paul, I'd like to talk about one other story before we go to the break, because it highlights um, some of the, I guess you could say, the educational mission of Religion Unplugged. Uh, you've, you've already talked about, uh, you know, your role as a professor and the fact that you guys hold educational sessions. Uh, one story that sort of highlighted that for me was Michael Ray Smith's story uh, on a team of students, or, or that he did with a team of students, kind of a roundup story about how churches are responded to the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, lots of Michael's students contributed to this story. Can you say more about that story and um, uh, why and how you are
1: able to use students and interns at Religion Unplugged? Oh, thanks. Yes. Uh, yeah, Michael's a friend of, of of mine, and it sounds like of yours as well. And, you know, he teaches, he's taught journalism at different universities and is currently teaching uh, class to graduate students at Regent University online. And so that means that some of these students are based in different parts of the country. And I think in one case, and one student was in the Bahamas. <laughs> so, um, you know, he, he gave them an assignment for a journalism class uh, to report on how COVID-19 coronavirus has affected their churches or churches in where, near where they live. And so uh, he realized some of those were pretty interesting. And he reached out to me and said, hey, Paul, take a look at these. Um, could we use those? Would you, like, would you like to use those in a report for Religion Unplugged? And again, you know, we like to get uh, viewpoints and reporting from different parts of the country, different parts of the world, different parts of Christendom or uh, other faiths. And so this was we ended up with some nice what we call feeds in our industry, like, you know, short stories or reporting from some of these places like uh, Virginia, Florida, Georgia, Bahamas. And um, as you note, um, Warren, that one aspect of Religion Unplugged is we want this to be a place where, yes, we have some senior veteran religion reporters uh, who've won lots of prizes and worked for big publications that we publish on our site. But we also want it to be a place where younger journalists can learn how to do religion reporting and can post some of their first bylines so that they can learn alongside the seasoned veterans and the award-winning religion reporters. Because, you know, we think and we believe that young people and new journalists have fresh ideas. We want them to demonstrate an ability to see religion and to see faith in the world and in people's lives and to learn how to report on that because, you know, again, to me, that's part of the solution is for for faith communities and people of faith to be understood, to be represented in public life. A solution to the problem that I see is when the news media has, you know, lots of talented journalists, but maybe few of those journalists understand people of faith or the, the role of religion in society and why it's important not to ignore it, but to listen and Um, to report on that topic um, and that subject in people's lives. So, you know, what we're doing is we are developing talented journalists who can, you know, news outlets can hire or publish down the road these journalists who understand something about religion, faith, and the importance of it to people's lives. Well, it was a great story, and another one that we were able to use at Ministry Watch. So I
0: was, of course, uh, grateful for it, and I appreciate the efforts that um, all of you uh, put into that story to make it one that you know, really gave a nice uh, overview of what was happening around the country. Well, Paul, we need to take a break, uh, but when we come back, I want to talk about some more stories that you guys have done in Religion Unplugged, uh, including a story that you did uh, with Michael Ray Smith, who we've already talked about, about God and guns. I'm Warren Smith with my special guest, Paul Gladder of Religion Unplugged, and we'll return after this short
1: break. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a Stork Bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork Buses partner college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com.
0: Welcome back. I'm Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Uh, today we have as our guest, Paul Gladder, who is uh, with Religion Unplugged. He's also a professor at the Journalism, Culture, and Society program. He's the chair of that program at the King's College in New York City, and he's the director of the McCandless Phillips Journalism Institute, also in New York City. And Paul, before the break, I said I wanted to talk about God and guns. Uh, those who've been following either Ministry Watch or Religion Unplugged might have guessed where I was going with that illusion because uh, they would have likely seen the story that you and Michael Ray Smith did, a long form piece on a trend in the church and ministry world, a trend towards increasing the security presence at churches and ministry events. Uh, you know, Paul, I really love that story. It, was, um, it had great photography. He uh, was deeply reported and really interestingly written, a great example of what um, I call boots-on-the-ground journalism. Can you tell me about that story, how it came about, and um, how you and Michael just got, I I mean, all over the place to report that story?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Thanks for bringing this one up. You know, it was right around Christmas. Maybe you and your listeners remember there, you know, Christmas happened in 2019, and then on December 29th, there was a shootout, at this West Freeway Church of Christ in Texas. And the crazy thing to me, I mean, we could see this on YouTube where a guy, you know, sort of a drifter shows up in this church um, and during communion pulls out a shotgun or a gun, long gun, and and shoots uh, two people before he is taken out Old West style in this church by (laughs) five or 10 people in the church pull out guns and one guy, you know, took him out. Um and to me it was just incredible to think about. Um and and it was also interesting to me that that story was very confusing. I think to my brethren in the mainstream media. Uh, I was you know I was a Wall Street Journal reporter for ten years and I read you know papers like the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times every day as part of my news diet. You know, to me, that story was inside the New York Times. I could see that the mainstream media was kind of confused. It was unusual. It was a, a shooter story where the people who were armed stopped uh, more people from being killed, it seemed. And so I, I, uh, we did a, actually, we published um, uh, one of our columnists, Bobby Ross, uh, is part of the Church of Christ denomination and actually runs their newspaper for uh, the Church of Christ. And He had special access to the pastors of this story. And so he let us republish uh, his piece. And I posted that piece on Facebook. And um, Bobby was starting in as a weekly columnist for us. So he had follow up. He was the only person who had an interview with the pastor of that church, uh, West Freeway Church of Christ in Texas. And so we were, you know, we were finding ways to cover that. And I posted it, one of Bobby's pieces, on my Facebook uh, page. With a question, and I my question was, what do people think of this? Is should we go to churches armed like this? Uh, what does it mean? And I was surprised because at that time, in my mind, uh, this was more of a Texas thing. I mean, I grew up in South Dakota, and you know, I had a shotgun growing up, and all my you know, lots of my friends and neighbors hunted and you know, had guns in their trucks or their homes or whatnot for usually for things like shooting rattlesnakes and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Or scaring off a deer off of out of your garden um, without killing it. But, you know, what surprised me, Warren, was in my mind, again, that that shooting was a Texas thing. And then when I posted on Facebook, that story and, and some questions, I started hearing back from some of my friends from different parts of the country, from Colorado, from South Dakota, from New Jersey, from Texas, and basically started realizing something new is afoot. People I grew up with in South Dakota told me that that the churches where I grew up, where my dad was a pastor, that they, when we were growing up, people uh, uh, probably didn't bring guns into church, but now they are, certain designated people that they're wary for all the church shootings that have been happening, as well as synagogue shootings, mosque shootings, that for some reason... Places of worship are targets more than they ever were, and there—at least—that's the sentiment that some people have. And, and and actually, data shows that there there have been a lot of shootings. We know that, and so churches, in my mind, I realize there's a bigger sociological phenomena here. Churches are more armed than they ever have been. I want to see if that's true. I want to, and I also want to see how they're arming and understand um, how they're preparing for these threats these risks and so my fr- well, that- yeah that was the genesis of it all yeah
0: well that's fantastic and and uh fascinating and you actually went to one of these training facilities uh where church leaders are getting firearms and other
1: kinds of training that to me was also a fascinating part of the story oh yeah so and that was in our team discussions and our editorial meetings i said we need to hop on a flight let's take our videographer Uh, Bring some camera, uh, bring a camera and let's be part of a church safety training somewhere. Let's get on the gun range, you know. And so we we started looking into different locations and we ended up going to Colorado Springs. It was actually the week right as COVID was starting in March was the the weekend we uh, I went there with uh, our video journalist and you know, by the way, around the same time, again, yeah, our, our friend Michael Smith was also interested in the story, and so he just started doing some reporting around the same phenomenon, looking at slightly different angle, which is how training is essential. That you can't just go to church with a rusty gun or you know not having practice, because you might you might hit the choir director instead of the bad guy. <laughs> so right, exactly, yeah, you know. So he was reporting on that angle, and I was really interested to get like you're saying behind the scenes, so. Um, I had some family connections in Colorado that are part of this movement that, that introduced me to some of the, the uh, churches there, some big mega churches. And it also turned out that a uh, guru of this life safety team movement, a guy named Carl Chin, uh, was in Colorado Springs. So we met with him. We, uh, uh, we spent time with a large church that had a, a large team, a life safety team. And, you know, we learned from Carl and we learned from people at that church that Colorado Springs was, a, you know, as you know, it's an epicenter of American evangelicalism. But it's also had, as such, it's also had some tragedies, some, some uh, shootings at churches there, some uh, bomb attempt at focus on the family. And so there's real reasons why it's an epicenter of also now the life safety movement. And so we got on the ground. I was very grateful to a man named Jeff Henry at Mountain Springs Church, who let me sit in on a Saturday training with his life safety team and to watch scenario drills. They acted out sort of a drama of uh, someone coming into the church with an assault rifle and how they'd handle the situation. And Warren, it reminded me, I've been to, uh, one of my brothers is a Marine, and I've been to... Visit embassies in, you know, Malta and Morocco, and seen how the Marines do training exercises like this. And and sure enough, some of the guys in this life safety team were Special Forces, Marines, former Marines, and they run this training at the church. The scenario is kind of similar, if not the same, as you see it uh, in high levels of our military. And they take it that serious. Their duty, what they see as their duty, to protect their brethren in their church from people who might want to do harm. And um, and then just to conclude, like sort of the on the ground reporting, uh, we went to the gun range with that same group and it was a cold afternoon, but we watched them shoot and do all these training drills. And then the next day I, I went to church with a home church because COVID was setting in and there was a home church. The life safety team got together and they played a video game in the basement using laser beams. And some of these people on that team were special forces, uh, operators, and for them, the interesting thing, another interesting aspect that I think we got into, I mean, this may have been the first report that I have seen where the the reporters, you know, really got in the weeds with the people doing this this work and tried to understand their mindset, their tactics, and all this stuff. Um, but one thing I observed was that this movement, this behavior, this activity in our churches, in many churches, anyways. Uh, it's meaningful to men. It's a way for men to engage and be part of of church and to feel needed. Well, that was
0: an aspect of the story that that really did come through uh, men as protectors and feeling, uh, you know, both a strong sense of that duty, but also a way to, um, you know, honor that responsibility and to perform their duty was uh, an important aspect of it. In fact, I found that story fascinating in uh, many, many ways. Paul, I just want to thank you and Michael for uh, doing that story and for allowing us to reprint it on, on the Ministry Watch um, website. So, uh, And I wanted you to kind of drill into it just to give our listeners a sense of the kind of work that you guys are doing and why uh, we here at Ministry Watch really value our partnership with you. Uh, Paul, It's uh, we've got to kind of bring our time to a close, but uh, again, I just wanted to say thanks for uh, sort of being with us on this inaugural episode of the Ministry Watch Extra uh, podcast episodes. Um, Every week uh, for our listeners, I want you to know that we'll have a different guest, uh, one of our ministry partners. So Paul will be back with us in about a month. We're going to try to have uh, Paul and a few others on every month to talk about some of the recent stories and also to drill down, we'll say a little bit more as time goes on, Paul. About your background and about uh, more about the mission of uh, Religion Unplugged. But for today, Paul, thanks so much for being on the program. Thanks for sharing with us
1: kind of a behind the scenes look at how you do what you do. Absolutely, you're welcome, Warren. It's great to be with you and talk about stories and about uh, religion. It's these are uh, it's uh, these are great topics, and uh, really appreciate doing this podcast together. You bet. To find out more about Religion Unplugged and read the stories
0: that they're posting there on, I guess, a daily basis, uh, especially the stories that we discussed today, you can go to religionunplugged.com. To find out more about Ministry Watch and the stories that we post, we usually post one or two new stories every day. You can, of course, go to ministrywatch.com. A couple of housekeeping items before we go. Um, If you are a regular listener to the program, or maybe if you're a first-time listener, we'd be grateful if you would rate the program on your podcast app. Uh, when you rate the program, it uh, helps us perform better with search engines, so it's really a, a free and easy way for you to support the program that doesn't cost you a dime. Or if uh, managing the podcast app is a little complicated for you, you can, as they say, kick it old school and just tell a friend about the podcast. That's uh, that's cool, and we would uh, appreciate um, your word-of-mouth support of the Ministry Watch podcast. I also want to remind everyone that both Ministry Watch and Religion Unplugged are donor supported. And if you would like to support us with your financial gifts, you can go to our respective websites, Religion Unplugged or Ministry Watch. Uh, and uh, hit the donate button, which you'll find prominently on both of our websites. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Steve Gandy. We get database, technical, and editorial support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, Christina Darnell, and Casey Suddeth. I'm Warren Smith, along today with my co-host Paul Glatter, and you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.